But yeah, it's uh, tonight we're 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 sort of changing plans a little bit because Neil hasn't had time to bone up on Transformers. But okay. uh, have you ever seen Spider Man and His Amazing Friends? Uh, yeah, in fact, I'm I'm happy that Netflix not only has it, they have the quote Lost Spider Man series, the one that Marvel Animation did before Spider Man and the Amazing Friends. Are you talking about the '60s Spider Man or the '70s no, Spider Man? The uh, late '70s Spider Man. Ah. Okay. Yeah, it, it was Marvel Animation, and it was the same series, uh, and it kind of led into Spider-Man. Friends. Yeah, Frank Welker as Iceman doing his Fred Jones voice. Yeah, that's real. You know, it's I love Frank Welker, but that was the Fred Jones voice. It really was. Well, I mean, he doesn't. I mean, he's got maybe about three human voices. Are you counting Doctor Claw as one of those? And uh, Megatron is the other one. That's a human voice. Yeah. Okay. Well, humanoid. I mean, it's not his animal voices. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Didn't he do the monkey from Captain Planet? He did the monkey for everything. <laughs> he did the I, monkey. Yeah, I mean, there was um, it was at the Phineas and Ferb panel at Comic Con this year, um, and it was Steve Bradley Baker and um, Dev Dan Pavenmeyer, one of the creators and producers of the show, said there are three animal voice actors in there, and D. Bradley Baker is one of them. You know, what I love about Phineas Ferb. Phineas and Ferb is a great kids cartoon. It's more than a great kids cartoon. It's just it's a fun cartoon for all ages. I love it. And they, I mean, there are some things in there. Uh, one of the little tidbits that I love is uh, they recently, well, recently, relatively, uh, did a did Phineas's birthday, and it was a clip show. Really? And every so, yeah, well, it was a clip show, but every so often they threw in a scene that had never been seen before. It was done specifically for that show, as if it had already been seen as for a clip show. That's pretty clever. That's it was great. It's uh, it's sort of like the episode of Frasier where they had scenes from the earlier seasons that didn't exist, and they had all the yeah. actors like make made up and wearing wigs and hair and clothing like they did in those earlier seasons. Yep, I love Frasier. There's a lot of things in Phineas and Ferb. I mean, that I know a lot of people don't get why I why me a 45 year old man likes that show. Well, I get that more. I get that more than like My Little Pony. Oh, I love My Little Pony. Same thing. It's it's a fun show. It's well-written. It's well-characterized. I mean, I enjoy watching the personalities. It doesn't talk down to the audience. I understand. Exactly. It's all ages. It's not – I mean, uh, right now they've got the new episodes of My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, um, and I use that to differentiate it from the original My Little Pony series, which threw me into a diabetic coma. <laughs> oh, uh, by the way, it's uh, – you know what, what straw man I hate the most of when, when, when people talk about the feminism in comic books? What's that? Uh, they was they said, see uh, a costume like that would look ridiculous on a man. See, and they always use this. Oh, is this the? Uh, you know what, what it is already just by looking at the name. Oh, is this the um, Dave Cockrum? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. the Dave Cockrum era uh, Cosmic Boy. You could tell that. I I think what happened was someone at DC was being bitched at by a feminist, and I'm like, okay, fine, we'll prove that looks stupid here. <laughs> yeah, and he wore that costume for what, fifteen years? God damn it. At the same time, they had a Saturn girl in the pink bikini. Hmm? You see, that got Neil perked up. I heard bikini. <laughs> Neil, you need to turn up your uh, mic a little bit. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that, during that run of Legion, uh, Dave Cockrum did some great costuming. Definitely not the traditional style of costuming. Something a little more 70s looking forward to the future type things. And Cosmic Boy in an outfit like that, which had... Metallic elements in it, so it would hold up. Uh, that right. was, uh, you know, that's kind of like. Uh, do you remember? Uh, I always thought, thank God, no one ever knocked him out. 
you watched the episode, uh, you watched the early TNG episodes, right? Yeah. You remember the man in the skirt? Yes. That's what this is. It very well could be. <laughs> Neil, if you don't know, in an early episode of TNG, I think it was the it Naked was the Now, actually. One. Yeah, the it, Naked Now. No, no, uh, the Counter Starpoint. Oh, okay. There was a, there was a man, an Asian man, if I'm not mistaken, wearing the uh, the, the skirt uniform that Tasha Yar usually wears. Oh, so it was like... Uh, no, Tasha always yeah. wore the... Uh, no, no, in the first episode, she wore the skirt uniform, too. Yes, she did. So Neil? it was like Sam Brannigan. Yeah. Yeah, she, yeah, this this man looked like Zap Brandon. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, let me find a picture of it. Star Trek man in oh. skirt. As long as he didn't come up with Scotty wearing the kilt. Which I think was a great idea on Jimmy's part, God rest his soul. <laughs> oh my god, it's worse than I remember. It's worse than I remember. He could be Asian. No, he actually looks more um Native American to me. Oh god. It looks like he just got out of bed. It's like one of those night shirts. <laughs> he got out of bed and grabbed the wrong uniform. Uh, yeah, yeah, this is my wife's uniform. No, no, I'm wearing it to make a statement. <laughs> He's a Tom girl. Oh, no! No! No, I mean, it's... The whole like, the whole first season, first and second season episode, it wasn't until the, uh, they got out of the spandex and went to the uh, Will Gabardine episode. Yeah. Costume sets, and believe me, I know it was Wool Gabardine. Oh okay. God, I know it's Wool Gabardine. So <laughs> how do you know it's Wool Gabardine? Because I had one of the uniforms. Oh, okay. And uh, I knew people who worked on the costuming for Paramount at the time. But yeah, that's that's the man skirt and all its yeah glory. <laughs> I heard a funny story about Futurama once, where when they were designing Dan Brannigan, uh, I guess Matt Groening came by and he was just like, "No, make the skirt shorter." <laughs> Make it as uncomfortable as possible. <laughs> that sounds like a groining. Yeah. Emerging from the dark humor that was the Beast Unleashed podcast, Steve Megatron, TFG and Mike, Pecan Court Michael, and the Cybertronian correspondent Optimus Solo move on to Transformers Animated with Transformation Animation Podcast. 20 episodes covering all three seasons of the cartoon, the books, and the awesome toy line. We'll also have cast and crew interviews, so get tapped with GCRN's next Transformers franchise podcast. Transformation Animation Podcast, available on iTunes and the web at www.geek.com. GeekCastRadio.com. Get your tap on. Decepticons, transform and rise up. So, uh, so yeah, Spider-Man is amazing. Friends is going to be the topic tonight. You ready, Neil? I'm ready. All right, let's get let's get this uh, train wreck started. Uh, welcome again to Animation Aficionados. Uh, I am your host Ben, and we have joining us my co-host TV Spencer Neil Parker, and uh, we have Thomas Rabor with us again once again from 910CMX, 910CMX.com. And tonight we are talking about Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Pardon me while I get the gasoline to set myself on fire. Yeah, it's uh, this was a series in the early 80s. It's, so you can tell it's early 80s because the opening has disco in it. And it was one of the uh, first series from the fledgling Marvel Animation. Yeah, Marvel Production, Marvel Animation. Both names are on this cartoon. And... Uh, <laughs> And the funny thing is, there are three seasons. The first season, uh, season one and season three are animated over here. Season two is animated in Japan by Toei. And it's, it looks remarkably better. Yeah, you can tell which ones are the American episodes. Well, first of all, it's like the vast majority of them. But the ones that are made here, it was like it was like that kind of Hanna-Barbera style where like nobody's really moving. 
and, a lot of uh, people standing around and you know, not filmation quality. <clears throat> oh god, better than that. But the one thing that that surprised me is when Neil and I watched the uh, Spider-Man origin episode of that season two, episode two, uh, Long Came a Spider. Uh, they one thing struck me immediately. With one more day, Spider-Man is, ex- ex- is at exactly that same point again. Twenty, thirty, not twenty, thirty years later, the writers put him back at that same point where he's living with Aunt May, has girl problems, and uh, God damn it, I- I- I'm full of rage. <laughs> where Aunt May's like, oh, that awful Spider-Man. Yeah, where she's so anti-Spider-Man that's almost ridiculous. That awful Spider-Man gave me a fright, even though he saved me from that giant bullet that should have broken my my shoulder. Yeah. And that, that hooligan Spider-Man, he, he probably did something wrong. I don't know what. <laughs> she was like, she was like Jonah number two. Yeah. yeah I was just in LA. Yeah. And that's the one thing that struck me is he's back at that same point in his life after thirty years. Thirty years. Well, that explains the leisure suit he's been wearing. <laughs> Uh, boy, I, I, I want to hear your thoughts on just the fact that Spider-Man is back at that same point in his life. Oh, I've gone on and on about the whole one more day thing. I mean, it's it, I, I I can't help but wonder if Joe Quesada was hired by DC. Joe Quesada. Yeah. So it's oh boy. I mean, well, that's getting more into the, the comic world than the animation world. It's just that's, that's true. But I, I, it's just the one thing that struck me was. You know what? We could read a story like this right now, in the comics, with with oh that horrible Spider-Man and Peter Parker with with love troubles and all that. And uh, you know the original the original concept was this is going to be Peter Parker living you know as college roommates with uh, with uh, Bobby Drake, Iceman, and uh, and Johnny Storm, the Human Torch. But uh, someone up above in Marvel production says she said two things. Number one. This is a, this is a sausage fest. Number two, Human Torch's appearance is repeatable and uh, and duplicatable, harmful to kids, which is the same thinking that gave us Herbie the Robot. So they decide to have uh, Firestar, whose design, whose civilian design, is totally Mary Jane's design. Yeah, Let, let's get that straight. Oh yeah. And number two, uh, the comics decided to make her appearance even more harmful by having her microwave powers cook her ovaries and make her sterile. Well, let's say, I mean, that was part of her story. Her powers in the animated series, and Spider-Man and her, his amazing friends, was totally human torch. Flaming trail, uh, the fire blast, stuff like that. The microwave powers were much, much later in the 90s uh, when she became part of the Avengers. Yeah. All so, I remember is that... Different, microwave, different Firestar. All I remember is my, the microwave made her sterile in the comics, so... Yeah. And uh, she stuck her tits in the microwave and got, got herself a tan. <laughs> That's horrible, deal. It's your head in the microwave, by the way. I know but the joke wouldn't have worked otherwise. Uh, God damn it! But anyways, uh, this series is also one where they did where they did canned, uh, you know, recycled animation of every time Firestar or uh, or or Iceman needed to change into their personas. They used the same recycled animation of Ice Iceman doing the uh, ice block and Firestar doing the. The uh, set, set it on high for two minutes. Well, you can't say too much about that. I mean, that was standard procedure. Uh, yeah. Before the, I mean, I can see not not reusing that simply because it's going to be the same thing over and over. Uh, it's, at least it wasn't the five-minute transition scene of a Sailor Moon. 
or He-Man. What I did like was they actually made a joke about how easy Iceman and Firestar can change, and Peter Parker's like, can you give me a minute? I'm still, like, changing my clothes here. Yeah. It was a great running gag. Yeah. And, uh, and it was a running gag that fit. It wasn't one of these forced-in running gags like, uh, well, the cute pet that always seemed to be thrown into a series during this time. <clears throat> Miss Lion. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one episode I remember is, and I'm going to make a lot of correlations with this one scene because I thought that they were hinting at like ten different things here. Uh, they had an episode where uh, where where Firestar civilian ID whose name I actually forgot Angelica of, Jones Angelica Jones at, for for a Halloween party dressed as Spider Woman said it was for a surprise for Peter and yeah I'll, I'll let you make some inferences on that. Talk about his okay. situation. Uh. Oh, what a tangled web we weave. Uh, Would have shot some spider web with that. <laughs> but uh, but like like I said, uh, Neil and I just recently watched Along Came a Spider and saw the good toy animation for once. And, uh, you know, one thing that always struck me was, you know, when you when you watch Spider-Man, there, there, there's no doubt why Spider-Man had so many animated series through the ages. Spider-Man is easily the most relatable, most marketable, character that Marvel had in the longest time before Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau made Iron Man. Well, even now, he's still the most relatable character, because think about who the vast, vast majority of comic book readers are, and that's the young, skinny, geeky outsiders, and that was Peter Parker to a T. He was made to relate, for people to relate to him. Yeah. And even now, he's still that type of... I mean, I, I agree with Joe Q about... By having him marry a supermodel, it kind of takes away from that, but it's still a bad reason to do what he did. But it's still relatable. You know what yeah. one of my friends actually said was, I'm serious, they should bring Gwen Stacy back. I'm like, no! No! <laughs> you, you don't make it worse. Yeah. yeah well, we get... brought Harry Osborn back, and he died too. But back on to Spidey and the Amazing Friends. Yeah, and... Uh, you have Frank Welker doing the Bobby, uh, doing Bobby Iceman, and uh, he's totally doing Fred Jones. He could totally say, "Yeah, let's go solve a mystery, gang." And uh, and the sound effects, the sound effects. You know, they were the same, basically the same sound effects that Marvel used throughout all of their series. Yeah, yeah. So I think they had maybe twelve, twelve, ep- uh, twelve sound effects that they used over and over. One thing that struck me was at the end of this episode where where Aunt May for the first time ever says, you know, maybe Spider-Man wasn't quite that bad after all. They even started playing some sinister music while while doing a close-up of of Aunt May. And and I pointed out, and he was like, oh, my God, Aunt May's the villain. (laughs) And, uh, you know, honestly, you know what? Kill Aunt May. Get her in on the secret. I don't care which you do. Just, you know, crap or get off the can with Aunt May. Yeah. Because it, it, it's it's too much now. It's it's forty years of of that awful Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. Was 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 Jane Jameson in any episodes? I don't remember. In his uh, Amazing Friends, no. Oh well, JJJ. Yeah. Yes. He was. Uh, yes, he was. But he. Uh, I thought you were talking about John Jameson's son. His son was not. Okay. Uh, one thing I remember was there was an episode. There was one episode where Stan Lee did a vocal introduction saying, Greetings, true believer! Oh, there were a number of them. He did about uh, 15 episodes like that, I think. I I only remember one. I only remember one with Swarm. Yeah, the second episode. 
And you had, I just remember, greetings, true believer, Excelsior! Well, I mean, that became a standby for a lot of the Marvel animation with Marvel characters at that point. I mean, Stanley had to be in there. I mean, I remember behind the scenes at that time, um, he kind of left Marvel Comics per se. He was still, a, you know, editor emeritus, but migrated over more towards the animation portion of it. So he was more in charge of that at the time. Yeah, was that really considered in charge? Well, he had enough authority to put himself in as a narrator. Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> it, it, I just remember the Swarm episode. The Swarm episode was pretty damn bad. And another thing that I remember was the Magneto episode. Where, you know what? I'll, I'm just going to say it. Anytime Magneto showed up in any cartoon that wasn't an X-Men cartoon, he felt out of place. The um, Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends series. I, I, I say that because I differ that. I, I mentioned the Lost Spider-Man series, which was, Marvel Animation did a Spider-Man cartoon immediately before this one. Uh, I think maybe one or two seasons of it. And fortunately, Netflix has had it, has just recently added it to its repertoire. But different actor for Spider-Man, and the stories were a bit more cohesive. Yeah. This was very episodic. This was villain of the week type stuff. Uh, almost to the level of... Um, Adam West Batman. One thing I remember was an episode where a handyman that was Aunt May's friend got cosmic power, thanks to Doctor Doom. The third episode, the Fantastic Mr. Mr. Frump. Frump. Yes, I remember it because you have a scene where, most, where Doctor Doom is hugging Mr. Frump and they're both laughing together when Mr. Frump is dressed like a like a dandy man with, with a top hat. And yeah. it's the most ridiculous shot you'd see of Doctor Doom hugging a man while they're laughing. And No, I'm serious. Yes, unfortunately I know. And, and I actually was, took a, a capture that pic and put a caption on it that said, Doom Man Love, and started posting it everywhere on the internet, and some people didn't like that. <laughs> Which means you should give it to me so I can put it in the show post. I'll find it. I'll give it to you later, Neil. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, you don't have to do it now. <laughs> well, it really was. It was. Uh, it, it's like they took characters and just used the surface look of them rather than using any of the backstory because people would get lost. The first episode of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends had Norman Osborn, Oh, gee, I should go get some help. Well, actually, he was returning from a mental asylum, flying in a twin-prop plane, somebody else as the pilot, in the middle of a thunderstorm. And, of course, he has to bail out because the plane is hit, and he hits his head. He returns to being the Green Goblin. It's a, it's a physical transformation, too. Yeah. It's not a mask. And I remember that because when he defeated him, he's like, oh, geez, I should go get some help. And he walks off, and they just, like, let him walk off. It's like, And it's like, really? 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 And the whole, I mean, the whole storyline is he kidnaps a niece, which I'm sure it's different. They could have had his son in there, could have had Harry, but no, they have to have a niece because somebody's got to be dating Peter. And uh, his big plan is to turn everybody into Green Goblins. Yeah. So that he's not lonely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm just going to say it. I think Green Goblin is not the best Spider-Man villain ever. And it, it would take a great writer to convince me otherwise. I think uh, some writers do it wrong. Other writers do it really wrong. And He is the Spider-Man villain because he, uh, he was the one that gave the pivotal moment to Spider-Man outside of the killing of Uncle Ben. Uh, that the is killing the of killing Gwen of Stacy. Stacy? Yes. So, I mean, that is why he is most recognized as the Spider-Man villain. Okay, I can certainly understand that. I'm just saying that most of the no. times after after that pivotal moment, that was one of the greatest arcs he was in, by the way. Just every every arc after that where where him and Gwen Stacy slept together and had Yeah, that's part of the reboot. Oh god. That was before the reboot. 
part of the reboot. This was all transitioning towards it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. The whole idea was originally the writer was going to have it where Peter and Gwen had children because they want to emphasize that Peter was older, and then they're like, no, that ain't just Spider-Man too much. Make it Harry. Yeah. No, not make it Harry. Make it Norman's kids, and then and and the writer's like, are you sure that's kind of bad? No, that was forced on the writer. Let, let's get that straight. But there was. With Amazing Spider-Man, I mean, it really was an episodic villain of the week. Uh, there was no carryover from story to story, and a lot of them, a lot of the stories did seem forced. Um, a good example was, uh, oh, what's the name of the episode? Um, oh, Sunfire, where they included in the Japanese X-Men Sunfire, and of course changed his powers so that they could have a love story between him and Firestar. And of course, that's never heard from again. It ends at the end of the episode, and that's it. Then the didn't they have an episode of the Spider-Man eighty series before and his amazing friends where Spider-Man had a relationship with Medusa? That I don't remember. I remember it. It happened. I saw it happen. They kissed. It very well could be. I could not say. Okay. And uh, like I said, I don't know. You know, watching a couple episodes, I'm not sure. Were they trying to push Angelica as a romantic option to Bobby or Peter? It depended on who was writing at the time, because sometimes she was attracted to Peter, sometimes she was attracted to Bobby, sometimes she was attracted to both of them, and sometimes she was just friends with both of them. Yeah. yeah. Like I said, it's kind of funny, because, like I said, her design is based off of Mary Jane's original appearance, and, you know, you hit the jackpot. That was definitely uh, the John Romita Sr. design for Mary Jane, even to the three bangs on her forehead. Maybe they were just friends with benefits. <laughs> That would sort of, you know, because, you know, Mary, because Aunt May is a real conservative gal, you know? Yeah. And she lets, she lets this one hot chick, you know, room with two college guys. And yeah, it's, and suddenly it's the plot from Threesome. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, I, I, you know, it's sort of like, is she pretending to be like be a lesbian so she could room with them or something? It's, you know, come and knock on our door. Oh, God. I'm asking a question. I don't know. <laughs> hers and hers and his three's company too. Yeah, some of the stories that they had in there. I mean, I'll, I don't think uh, people will find back find Spider-Man as amazing friends. Definitely through the haze of the rose-colored glasses of history. They and the, the storylines were not exactly Marvel's best. Well, they weren't anywhere near Marvel's best. Well, you know what? It's uh, I'm going to go with Neil's defense here that it's an 80s cartoon. It's an 80s Marvel cartoon. You know what you're getting into. It's an early 80s Marvel cartoon, and it's yeah. one. It was marketing, not storytelling, and it, it, they couldn't even keep their own things consistent. Um, they had one story, which was not. It was the origin of a Firestar story. A Firestar is born. That was that. That was the one where they. That was a backdoor pilot. For Pride of the X-Men. Yep. And, of course, what was the most egregious problem they had with that? Wolverine was Australian? Wolverine was Australian, mate. You dingo? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just, it was one of those stories. The, uh, I, I don't want to say anything ill against the voice acting because they did have some good actors in there. I mean, Dan Gilvezen, who was the voice of Spider-Man for Amazing Friends, did a Admirable job, you know. I mean, we mentioned Frank. Frank Welker was is Frank Welker. What can you say about that? Yeah, but uh, it, it it just it suffered from poor animation. Except it's for a, the three Toei episodes, even the Toei episodes. In A Firestar Is Born, you have a scene where Wolverine 
flies. It had a, some problems, but yeah. And Neil actually doesn't play until he plays. He plays people on the U.S. side for that scene. Yeah. Well, that was that was also a problem with later Marvel cartoons. Where I think there was something definitely wrong with the direction. It was get the stuff out. I mean, yeah. We could go to the first episodes of Transformers where the trans the Autobots were flying only in the pilot episode. So they didn't keep their own stuff. Their, their continuity editor. Well, actually, in in more than meets the eye, you had Optimus need to borrow another Autobots jetpack to well, reach to, the Decepticon to rocket. Up to it to catch up to it. They had the Autobots flying. He just needed the extra boost to uh, catch up to the uh, Nemesis. Okay, I'll, I'll I'll give you that. Yeah, so. I'm pretty sure they were. There was a lot of uh, contradiction going on there about yeah. Autobots was, flying because in later episodes they were flying on and off. Yeah, there was no con- that, that was the one thing that always bothered me about Marvel productions was there really was no continuity between things. Yeah. It was, I mean, Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, to me, was a perfect example of that. They just had no consistency. Nobody double-checked things. Uh, that's certainly true, and Marvel never had a history of kicking anything back. Never. Yeah. I mean, they they could have an obvious error, and they'd be like, oh, just send it through. And uh, Neil Neil has a theory about the season two, the three Toei episodes, and I'll let Neil, like, lay that out. Well, I was just saying that I think this was like a test run uh getting Japanese animation into their production, because I think it was the year after that that they went with the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. And that that was actually their best outing, I think, because that had the fewest number of errors, that fewer uh, continuity problems. It was by And Sheila the Thief giving Neil that panty shot in episode one. <laughs> I think that was the Japanese production not understanding uh, network uh, regulations. Or the Japanese production like, let's give a panty shot. Yeah, well, yeah, sometimes... Uh, Japanese animators just slip stuff in. <laughs> but yeah, Spider-Man has amazing friends. Uh, did this add anything to the Spider-Man franchise or Mar- Marvel Comics as a whole? Yes, yeah. actually, because Firestar was created for the cartoon and she later introduced in the comics. Well, it was also more than that. I think about it from a marketing standpoint, because for three years, Spider-Man and his amazing friends was out there keeping Spider-Man in the forefront. That's and true. Having kids recognize the character, and of course they would want to go out and buy the buy the comic books. Of there's there's one problem I always had when when animating Spider-Man shooting web is it's always like just like a grid line in these early cartoons, and the one and only thing the terrible Fox's Spider-Man got right was it was a viscous, you know. Well, that was also remember that in the comics at the time it was basically the st- uh, straight style of webbing, and it wasn't until. Uh, oh, what's the heck's name? Um, McFarlane. Yeah, Todd McFarlane started drawing webbing that way. That I, I was, it was it was before McFarlane. I, I swear, I have pictures from. Uh, uh, Jesus, what's his name? Yeah, I have pictures from uh, from the uh, from Gil Kane. Gil Kane doing Spider Man that has that has webbing that's not a straight line. Very well, well maybe, uh, because I I never. Well, I don't know Todd McFarlane, but I just never got the idea that he was, okay. yeah. And I know for but, sure it was Gil Kane because uh, I actually know the guy who inked that one. So, <laughs> yeah, I had that cover somewhere still. It's, uh, it was it was the one where, where Spider-Man teamed up with Namor. Okay, that's, I don't know all of them. <laughs> the but second I, one where Spider-Man teamed up with Namor. Yeah. But, uh, 
but uh, let's see. We're, we were talking about, you know, th- this did indeed keep the franchise alive. It, uh, well, not alive, but it kept it in the forefront, in, in the front of everybody's mind. It uh, introduced Firestar, who later became a, co- a character in the comics, and uh, they actually did an episode, they actually did a comic book issue in Ultimate Spider-Man that was a shout-out to Spider-Man and his amazing friends, where it turned out that uh, one of Peter Parker and Mary Jane's anti-mutant uh, friends was actually a mutant and became that universe's Firestar. Yep, uh, Liz Allen, who was um, yeah, uh, in the original series, uh, eventually became the wife of Harry Osborn. Yes. And mother to his child, which got wiped out in the reboots. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I just remember that because, because I think that was an okay shout-out. It wasn't terrible and, uh, you know... We could we could make a whole show talking about Brian Michael Bendis and his library of issues. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know if you guys know this, but Brian Michael Bendis has a huge, huge, tremendous crush on Spider Woman, Jessica Drew, right? And Brian Michael Bendis, who is he, Brian Michael Bendis, created the Ultimate Line and created Ultimate Spider Man and created Ultimate Spider Woman, and who is Ultimate Spider Woman? Yeah, Peter Parker. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let that sort of settle for, for Neil here for a second. Uh, kind of squeaky, Neil? I will admit, I mean, that the way they did the clone saga in the Ultimate Series was a hell of a lot better. That's because that. they did it in two to three issues. Yeah. They're like, okay, three issues, it's done. We're never going to see these clones again, except for Spider-Woman because she's hot. <laughs> now, here's a little bit of trivia that I did not know until recently, and that is... The voice of Norman Osborn for Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends was done by Neil Ross, Ooh. who also did a voice in the uh, 94-98 Spider-Man series. Neil Ross? He did Norman Osborn. Really? He was the voice for Norman Osborn in both series. Well, he did a lot better job in the 94. That's one of the yeah. phrases I'll give to 94, but yeah, that's like a backhanded praise. He also did Wolverine doing the uh, Australian accent. Yeah. Now it's my turn. Well, I mean, at least Australians have an accent. Otherwise, you just end up sounding like Doug and Bob McKenzie. You know what? I would have liked it if someone, if next time they make an X-Men cartoon, they, they told the guy who did Wolverine, okay, you have to, like, say, just hold on a minute there, eh? And a boot. <laughs> so it was like Wolverine from the Great White North. <laughs> yeah. I would love that. I would love if they did that. <laughs> Dave Thomas do the voice. Just wait on a minute here, eh? What's this all about? Come on, that'd be great. Okay, I know it sounds like I'm. I'm it sounds like that's a terrible idea, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, they they did have some quality actors in there. The story writing, not so much. It was um, an '80s cartoon. It was the low end of an '80s cartoon, but it was still yeah. an '80s cartoon. It wasn't. It was yeah. a terrible. It, I mean, it was of the we can. It's only kids. We can get by with what we can get by. Uh, like I said, I thought they were hinting at something when when uh, when Angelica dressed like Spider Woman and said it was a, a surprise for Peter. Well, I mean that could also be taken a look at as well. This is a friend, so you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I'm dressing up. He's Spider Man. I'm Spider Woman. So. Come on, and, and, you know, like I said, the fact that her design is based off of Mary Jane sort of. I, I think that had like triple connotation there. <laughs> could be. Could be. You know. <laughs> I, I know, I'm looking too much into it, but... Uh, yep. <laughs> he agrees with me. It's But like I said, I remember the Doctor Doom... Not Doctor Doom, I remember the Magneto episode, and like I said, Magneto always filled off when he was in any cartoon other than an X-Men cartoon. 
because he was in this cartoon and he seemed off. Because how they beat him? They like found an electrical plant and like changed his polarity and made Magneto stuck stick to it like a refrigerator magnet. Yeah. Oh, I remember that. <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's exactly how it happened. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, Neil is actually sighing. Yeah. It uh, it gets worse. <laughs> uh, there was an episode of uh, of an earlier Fantastic Four cartoon where Reed Richards defeated Doctor Doom. You want to know what? With what? With what? A wooden gun. Oh my god! It's not even, he didn't even shoot the gun. He just said, "I dare you to manipulate this gun, Magneto." McNeil's like, "Of course I can." He's like, I, "I can't. My powers have failed. I give up." And then they have him handcuffed in metal handcuffs, bring him to a car, cop car made out of metal, and he's like, "I must know how you defeat me, Reed Richards." He says, "Simple. This guy's made out of metal." And you know, Magneto could have been like, "Well, screw you, bitch. I'm going to tear all this metal apart and like kill you." <laughs> but no, he was already defeated. It was like Thanos being led away in handcuffs after the hostess cake defeated him. Yeah. <laughs> How's that for a reference? Fruity. Wow. Yeah, but uh, do you remember Video Man? Video. There are Which two incarnation? There, no. There's two Video Mans in this cartoon. One is a villain, the other is a hero. And they both look the same. Did Video Man beat Particle Man? <laughs> well, no, because uh, because uh, Triangle Man beats them all. I see. Oh God, we, made a, we might be giant reference. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the, the video man looked like a very bad Atari graphic. That the the, the the villain was created by Electro. I think what you just said there was uh, redundant. Bad Atari graphics. I know people who love the original twenty. Was it twenty six twenty eight hundred? Twenty six hundred. Oh, Stella. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have a fan of the 2600 in here, so we should be careful about it. Oh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I like combat. <laughs> hey, Yard's Revenge is still, it was groundbreaking for the time, and it utilized more than the capabilities, but that's a different subject altogether. But the Spider-Man game was infuriating. Oh, I had no problem with it. It was just too easy. But uh, the video man, the villain, you know, was a, uh, you know, attack everybody, and they defeated him by, like, sorting out, like, those components or something. And yep. then there was, a, like, a teenage boy in Season 3 that became the same video man, same design, but he was a hero. And I think, uh, and he, actually, at the end of the, at the end of the episode, he accepted an invitation to join the X-Men. And, uh, see, the thing is this. You can tell that this is, like, a backdoor pilot for something, the video man episode, that thankfully never went anywhere. Yep, yep. Because video games were big, and they're like, we need a video game superhero. Video man. It's like, remember that all CD Muppet, Neil? Yeah. It's the same thing. Uh, I thought that was Frank Oz. No, no. In the in the eighties, they had an all CD Muppet. Yeah, it was. uh, Yeah, Frank Oz tonight. Frank Oz is a Muppet. (laughs) Frank Oz is a collection of cloth and and felt. It was the Jim Henson Hour. That's what it was. There was a CG Muppet called uh, Oswald. He only showed up for a couple episodes because he was really expensive to do and took really long to render the entire scene back then. Yeah. Now, you do have to say, there was one episode, if I remember correctly, that they actually did something controversial. What was that? The episode, I think, was about the Red Skull. Really? Mm. Really. And, of course, because it had, I think they used the Nazi swastika, they had him going Hal Hitler, and because of such... That episode does not get put in syndication. Yeah, the, the oh. Quest of the Red Skull, episode 13. 
And, uh, you know, they also had an episode called The Seven Little Superheroes. Oh, God. Where they reveal that, you see, you have six superheroes because you have a, it's Captain America, Shauna, and did they actually give her, like, the Shauna look that she's supposed to have? Yes, Shauna the She-Devil. Did she have the uh, leopard bikini? Yes. Oh, God, yes. And uh, Submariner, and, uh, and Doctor Strange, team up with Spider-Man, and the spill, they called him the Spider-Friend. And you know who defeated the chameleon? Yes, I do. What? Anytime they have the cute character. Miss Lion. Oh, God. Does it hurt? It hurts. <laughs> and you know what was really funny? Because, you know, the whole cartoon was going around at the same time. They had an episode with a crossover where basically Spider-Man, the Spider-Friends were invited to Hollywood to do a movie. And he had them in costume in a bus that's just driving by. And then they see this guy, Bruce Banner, just sort of like all torn up and, uh, and wearing just the uh, shredded purple shorts. And <laughs> they're like, hey, you want to come with us and be in our movie? He's like, okay. No, that's exactly how it happened. Oh, my God. No, I, I should not. I'll, I'll let Tom verify. Spidey goes to Hollywood, where Mysterio has a plot to get Spider-Man. So rather than going to New York, let's have Spidey go to Hollywood. And on the way, pick up Bruce Banner walking in the middle of the desert. And the big trap for Mysterio was going to be he was going to use a robot Hulk to kill Spider-Man. <laughs> no, did he set up the trap in hopes that Spider-Man would come to Hollywood? Oh, no, no. He had a press agent go out and get Spidey, come to him and talk to him. Oh, okay. And Spidey, rather than, I mean, this is good, was going to be a big multi-picture, you know, I mean, it's going to be a huge thing. And what does he want? He wants one month's rent. For Aunt May. <laughs> Down to the penny. You know, five, something like $326.42. And 42 cents? Yeah. And, uh, which is actually very cheap for a New York apartment, even back then. Must have been rent control. Yeah. Because <laughs> yes. I knew people lived in, in New York in the 70s and 80s, and, and you, get, you get like a one-room studio for about 800 back then. It also goes against, I mean, the whole thing, I mean, that... Why didn't he just go back to professional wrestling? It was all, it really was another storyline that was just a cheap gimmick to do something. They were all cheap gimmicks, you know, one way or the other. They also had a, they also had a Thor episode, and most of, and see, it wasn't even Thor in half the episode. It was Loki disguises Thor in half the episode. Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of sad and uh, sad. Did he, did he talk to Spider-Man, like, verily and all that crap? Yeah, he did the goddamn old English <laughs> I know Tom doesn't have that much of an issue with it as much as I do, but Pretty why tell would you, I have such a problem with? It. And uh, you had you had an episode where uh, where Dracula kidnaps Firestar, as was the tradition back then. Yeah, was it was it even the Tomb of Horrors, Dracula, the Tomb of Dracula, Dracula, the one that was in the uh... actually yes, it was the same type of style. Oh, okay, Our artistic style. It's could be. Okay, and then, of I course, guess. they had the spider power gone wrong episode where a scientist duplicates Peter's powers and goes robbing banks until the powers mutate him into a giant spider creature. Man spider. Yeah. Yeah, I'm tired of the man spider. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, they, they had the X-Men crossover twice. The second X-Men crossover is not that good because the second one is animated by, uh, the American team and, uh, yeah. they also had a, a, a weirder lineup. They had well, actually, most of the slimes, okay, they have Cyclops, Colossus, Storm, Nightcrawler, Thunderbird, no. Sprite, that that was Kitty Pride's codename back then, right? One of them. 
Yeah, it's uh, I like Shadowcat better than, than Sprite. Personally. I mean, it was Sprite, then it was Ariel, then it was Shadowcat. I, I love... think there was another one in there somewhere too, but Shadowcat's the best name of them all. But anyway, I mean, it was the classic. You know, I hate to tell you know, speak ill of some writers, but it was the cheap hook of it was Firestar's ex boyfriend coming for um, who knew that she was a mutant and was coming to have revenge on him on her because. He was in a terrible accident and became Therak. I mean, half robot. <laughs> well, wasn't it AIM that caused it? I believe so. Oh, God, I hate Mordok. Mordok, because most people who voice Mordok don't know you have to do a camp. I'm sorry, if you, do, if you voice Mordok, you have to do a camp. You don't try to do it seriously because you're a giant head with little bitty arms and legs. Yes. <laughs> if you're going to do Mordok, you do a camp! I'm going to hear Tom disagree with me in a second. I mean, I think that if they had him permanently fixated, fixtured in something to where he was an organic computer, that would be one thing. To me, it's the flying chair that caps the whole thing off. So you agree he has to be camp? If he's got the flying chair, how can you not do it camp? Yeah, it's, it's you know, that that's one of the greatest things that Megas XLR did was they had they had a version of MODOK that was uh, magnanimous and that was Bruce Campbell with a chin and all. Well, I mean... I, 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 if there's one thing that I do love about the superhero squad, it's the way that they do Modoc. Do they do him camp? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, they do everything camp on that cartoon. That, that is a kitty cartoon. Yeah, and, you know, this series had camp in the wrong areas, too. It's, uh, you know, wow, Buzz Mason of S.H.I.E.L.D., it's, that's, that's a great name. The one with the uh, never heard from and never heard from before and never heard from again. Lightwave. Uh, sister of Iceman. Yeah. Yeah, Lightwave. It's uh, yeah. This series just had a very weird. Uh, you know, it, it, it's great in the in a chronological study of Marvel productions. I mean, this is this is great. This is this is the turning point before you know before Dungeons and Dragons, before Transformers, before GI Joe. But you see, to me, it's just the opposite. It's it's a black mark on it. It was a fun cartoon. It was a brainless cartoon even back then. Mm-hmm. But for those who had seen the Spider-Man series before it, and the uh, Late 70s series, uh, not the live action and not the 67 series. Which live uh, action, the American or the Japanese? The American. Okay. Okay. With, um, well, I can't remember any of the actors on there now. I should, but, but no, the original, the, like I said, the Lost Spider-Man series, that was a good series. The animation was on par with what Amazing Friends had, but the storylines were better. I can see that. I can definitely see that. And this went into, it, there it was written... Spider-Man was written for teenagers. This was written for kids, pre-teens. Yeah, and you know a lot of a lot of what became you know a lot of fixtures from the comics was in this cartoon, and that in transition you know made made a lot of the things that you see here fixtures in what writers think should be the fixtures in Spider-Man, which is wrong. I mean. He's not supposed to be, like, perpetually a 20-something loser with an aunt that hates his secret identity and and have girl troubles. It's a, yeah, okay, I know, your life can't suck that much if you're married to a supermodel, but still. It was also in, a, in animation in a bad transition time because it was going from the pablum of the early 70s to the more action-oriented series of the 80s. Yeah, and he also had a little bit of that, you know, the disco in the opening. Yeah, yep. that, that that was that was pure disco. Yeah, what what instrument makes that sound, anyways? A bad one. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm sure the name Casio is on it somewhere. 
Thank you, Neil. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's... But like I said, it, Atari 800. in a historical point of view, this is a fascinating point. This this is the beginning of the good era. This isn't the good era itself. This is the beginning of the good era. Because well, the experimentation with Toei brought in Dungeons & Dragons, brought in Transformers, brought in G.I. Joe, brought in the 80s action cartoon. Yeah, it was definitely... It was part of the growing process away from... Uh, I mean, because you can look at the 60s where we had... Well, the original Spider-Man cartoon and Speed Racer were more, definitely more action-oriented. But then there was the Dr. Spockization of cartoons, you know, where everything had to be all touchy-feely and all warm and fuzzy. Yeah, Flint Dilly revealed some something in that, in that episode, if you get a chance to listen to it, Tom, but I'll just rehash it really quickly for our listeners. Uh, there are violent points that three different people rate a cartoon of in the 80s. There were violence boards and there were violence points that each member rated a cartoon. And uh, they were like, you only got like 60 points a cartoon episode. And you can't save them all up for a de- decapitation. Let me just put it right there. <laughs> and to, to let you know how fucked up this violence scale is, you get three points for knocking really loudly on a door. Yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> I mean, it really was. And I you mean- want to know, know what gave uh, Transformers the movie its PG rating? It wasn't the fact that you had a scene where... Was it Prowl- the, the deleted word, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it? It's the fact that Prowl's innards are burning and, like, melting out of his mouth. It's the fact that you have Daniels, you have Spike shout, Oh, shit, what do we do now? Which subsequently got removed from rehash episodes, which I think is back on the DVD now, too. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, but, yeah, the violent, violent robot deaths weren't... Why <laughs> but uh, it, was, it was all, I mean, it was the, like I said, I call it the Spockization, because Dr. Benjamin Spock's and the entire theory that they had about how to treat kids. I find that completely illogical, Tom. Hmm? Uh, <laughs> I had to do it. I said that I find that completely illogical. Yeah. But, I mean, you, I, I, I like to look at, I mean, because when you look at superhero cartoons, you have to, there are examples from each era. You have the 60s which had the uh, Spider-Man, or the original Spider-Man, and the Marvel Action Hour. Where Captain America throws his mighty shield. Still a great piece of music. Then you go from that to Super Friends. And the Legion of Doom. I mean, well, no, before that, the original Super Friends when you, with Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog, <laughs> where you never, never saw a punch being thrown. They always... Talk to the villain, and the villain capitulated from that. Oh, you want know? You know what thing? I hated the Wonder Dog. I hated the Marvin and and the and the and the Wonder Twins and all that. But you had uh, oh god, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bad out Jeff Johns for a second, Tom. And I know you still are a fan of some of his work, but I don't care. Yeah, I'm after some the stuff that I've been reading. Uh, not so much. In in, in in Jeff Johns' Teen Titans run, he brought back the Wonder Dog and made it with the Wonder Dog tore apart Marvin and the other girl. And yeah, I love the inclu- I love the way that they included Wendy and Marvin in there. I thought that fit wonderfully. And then you had the dog eat them. And then it, it, they became forgotten. They were there for a couple of issues, and then they were just shoved off the side, and they bring them they back. They were eaten long by the dog. Well, and did you? Who were? Who was? It, who did they recon their parent? Or Wendy and Marvin's parent to be their I father. Know, I stopped reading after that point. Well, they retconned it so that their father was the calculator, the sort of the anti oracle of the yeah, I, I, yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> did the, the dog talk? 
But, I mean, like I said, you, you've got the 67 Spider-Man to Super Friends to Spider-Man and his amazing friends. You can see the transition. And then the 90s, X, or the 90s X-Men to what we have now, to Justice League. Yeah, it's a, animated series and uh, Justice League. Yeah, and you really, you, to, who you think for the violence being back in cartoons was Bruce Tam and his ability to bullshit with censors because he ha, he was able to have the Joker shoot a Tommy gun in Batman the animated series. You don't know why? He made this bullshit argument because he says, "Well, you know what? They don't make Tommy guns anymore, so that's not that's not imitatable because what kid can get a Tommy gun?" <laughs> and you know, personally, I'd love to shoot a Thompson, but that, that, that's because I'm a gun guy. But, but I mean, you know what? I mean, it was that sudden dip there in the 70s where everything – it was the leftover from the 60s hippies, and then we started finally growing back up. And it was a slow transition, but I mean, we're finally, eventually getting there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, there was one scene in the Spider-Man Origin episode where, you know, beautiful animation, but there's this scene where Firestar is melting one of the Shockers uh, – you know, bracers off his arm, and yeah. it's there's this molten metal like gripping off his arm, and it's like he should have been screaming. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it burns. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful animation, but skin burns, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was kind of yeah. Talk about imitatable. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let, let's put this coat hanger on my arm, Johnny, and then you can melt it like Firestar melted the Shockers thing off. Yeah, it's... No, it, no. really, the thing is this. I always held it this way. If a kid doused himself with gasoline in, in, with a match, and his parents were stupid enough to not, like, watch him, and he did that, then... Then, you know... It, it, I, I know this is going to sound horrible, but... That kid really wasn't going to last that long anyways... Yeah, but have you ever heard of this guy named Darwin? <laughs> now, I will say I just found an article that had me give a little silent squee of delight. Um, because it's from Mar- on Marvel.com. And it's talking about Marvel shows now available on Netflix. That's saying uh, coming April 29th, it had the 90s uh, Incredible Hulk, the 90s Spider-Man Unlimited. Yeah, these, that uh, was extremely limited. Yeah, motion comics of Iron Man Extremis, Astonishing X-Men Gifted. Motion comics are, by the way, bullshit. Well, let me finish. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Spider-Woman, Agent of the Sword, Fantastic Four, World's Greatest Heroes, the 2006 series, uh, the 90s series of Silver Surfer, the stop motion of Black Panther, and uh, the first season of Iron Man Armored Adventures, which, not too bad. Coming throughout the summer, Marvel Action Hour, Iron Man, Oh. That's already on Netflix, and they also fucked it up. Where yep. episode two is fifteen seconds long. Ninety four, ninety six. Uh, the Avengers: Earth's Mightiest Heroes, the oh, new God. series. Okay. Uh, X Men Evolution and the nineties X Men series. The ninety uh, four series of Spider Man, the eighties series of Spider Man, the sixties of Spider Man, and Spider Man is the Big Friends. Now, a little squeeze of delight coming in the fall. Iron Man, Thor, Captain America, Hulk, and Submariner, all from 1966, the original Marvel animation. <laughs> what was the Iron Man theme like this? Something, something, repulsive oh, no. array. Yeah. Tony Stark makes you feel he's a cool exec with a heart of steel. And Iron Man, well, just as plain, he fights and he fights with repulsive rays. <laughs> I mean, in the original Iron, in the Iron Man movie, uh, they had that song in there. They, that was Tony Stark's theme. They play it when he goes when they announce his name for the award. That's, That's his, his ringtone. Ring yes, 
but that's because Favreau is a big Iron Man fan. And like I said, it was thanks to Favreau and Downey that made Iron Man a gateway drug as strong as Spider-Man. And I know there's going to be some disagreements with that with some people, but it's just true. It really is. It was a surprise to everybody. Iron Man stuck up on everybody, and it works. Well, and uh, who was the voice of the original Iron Man? Who is the original voice of the Iron Man? I'm that asking. was, um, God, what was that? John Vernon, really? who most people will probably remember better as Dean Wormer from Animal House. Yeah. <laughs> he was Tony Stark and Iron Man, the original Tony Stark and Iron Man. Now, Double I mean, probation. If, let me go ahead and add this in. If you, uh, you can add this in to the show if you want or not. Uh, where's my little post? We talk about the original Marvel themes. You can find them out there. But one that most people probably don't remember was that all of these, all five of those shows was under one umbrella, so to speak. And there's the theme to it. Oh, my goodness. He found it. He found it. He has it. The Merry Marvel Marching Society. So, do you remember... This was also included... Uh, back to the original members of Foom, Friends of Old Marvel, which is late 60s, early 70s, they had a little plastic 45 that members got that has this on there. Do you have one? Oh, no. That was before my time. <laughs> okay. Do you remember? Here, here's one. Here's one. Do you remember a? Do you remember the Marvel? Do you remember a certain Marvel cartoon, the Thing cartoon, where the Thing was a teenage boy that has the Thing rings? Thing. That was uh, Hanna Barbera. Yeah, who goddamn. Still had, yeah, who still had the rights to the Fantastic Four at the time, which is another part, another part of the reason why we had Firestar rather than the Human Torch because Hanna Barbera had the uh, animation rights to the Torch. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. But uh, like I said, the, it, when you look at Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends, it is just totally fascinating in a historical point of view because, like I said, this is the beginning. This this wasn't the first great Marvel cartoon, Marvel Productions cartoon, but it shows that they were ready to start experimenting. Right. There's a reason why the original, why the uh, '70s Spider-Man cartoon, I consider the Lost series because most people don't remember it. I remember uh, it. I actually watched a couple episodes. Yep. But most people don't. It is. It's a. It's a trivia note. But Spider-Man is his amazing friends was not including the '67 Spider-Man was the big animation thing for Spider-Man and for Marvel. It really was the big launching point for Marvel Animation, which is what gave us Transformers and G.I. Joe and all these others. And Dungeons and & Dragons and, yeah. Jim. <laughs> no, uh -huh. I thought Jim was a, was a Deke production, wasn't it? No, no it wasn't. Marvel. It was Sunbow. Really? Damn. Yeah. That's, why it's in, that's why it's in the Sunbow age. That's why it's coming up later. Okay, Jim is excitement. And they crashed the car. One of, uh, one of Blanchard's favorite cartoons. Well, yeah, but we, we already questioned Blanchard's sexuality on the show enough already. <laughs> yeah, but what's weird about the about the eighties Marvel era is that it kinda toward the end of it it kinda took a right turn and somehow ended up at Warner Brothers. <laughs> because all of a sudden you had you had Batman innovating and it kinda took all the cues from Marvel and built from it, whereas Marvel just went down the shitter. Yeah, Marvel sort of said it's Marvel sort of still like like it's still the eighties. We can't have violence still. We have to just yeah. have them grab each other by the shoulders and push. You know all that awesome stuff that Megatron used to do? Well, we can't do that anymore. Yeah, Megatron, you know, he Well, 
there are two things. There are two things that came about from that. One was the massive feedback from the death of Optimus Prime. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, uh, to this day, I mean, I think if you can point out towards one massive thing that Marvel Animation did, it was the death of Prime. Yeah. The other is remember there were Marvel Comics uh, was semi-independent at that time, and they were going through some massive financial problems at that time. Yeah, this was this was around the time where they were where they were really doing some of that bullshit that brought them into bankruptcy. Right, and, and that's what killed off Marvel Animation at the time was they shut down the animation studios, they shut down the company because it just couldn't be affordable anymore. Yeah, and uh, that sort of let the DC get a couple of years to get the lead on lead in on them animation wise. And right, well, I mean, and they Marvel had, uh, is just now catching up. Mar- well, they've gotten them smarter. Marvel at the time was independent. I mean, it was Marvel owned the animation. They, I mean, it was completely there. DC, Hanna Barbera in the seventies, and then Warner Brothers who bought out Hanna Barbera. So you had established animation companies doing this stuff now. Yeah, where Marvel had their own ramp up. That's so, true. I mean, and they, like I like I said, the, the one of the smartest things that Marvel did in the eighties was they first did it in house, and then they in these three episodes in season two of Amazing Friends they subcontracted to Toei to see if it was possible, and then they finished out Amazing Friends with, at, in-house again, and then the very next production they did was with was with Toei, all Toei. And then at some point they said, you know what, let's make our own Korean studio, and that's how we got ACOM. And it's it's hard to say if, I, if, I, if we should blame everything on ACOM, but it, they didn't help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, ACOM certainly did not help, and... Uh, yeah. And we we definitely see where they went and where they're going where they're going from this point and it's very fascinating that that's one of the most fascinating things you watch any episode of Spider Man's Amazing Friends and if you keep what's now history in mind what what comes after a lot of things sort of fit in you, you watch this horrible episode with Swarm and and you just sort of say yeah I can sort of see where they came from and went from this and got a little bit better and then got worse again. Now, here's a little, again, I'm taking a look at some of the information in the cast, and here's something I did not know. Uh, the voice of Firestar of Angelica Jones was an actress named Kathy Garber, who is still doing work nowadays, too. Ooh. But I did not know that she was the older sister on Family Affair, the Brian Keith show, back in the 60s. You want to know who did, uh, who did uh, Bruce Banner and the Hulk in Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, Neil? Who? Peter Cullen. Oh wow! <laughs> I thought you'd enjoy that. Now, did he do the Hulk as well? Or yes, he did. Okay. Yeah, they, like, they, they I didn't can kind of. get. They didn't get live action Hulk to do the Hulk voice back then because that wasn't really that big of a deal. Yeah. Like it is now. Every line they get the Hulk to voice something now they have to have the guy who did the live action Hulk because that's a big deal. Lou Ferrigno. Yeah, it's that's not that big of a deal. Stop doing that. Yeah, I don't know why they do that because it's not like Lou Ferrigno has a very distinctive voice. He doesn't—he certainly doesn't bring anything with marquee value. He's just kind of, hey, I was bold. <laughs> What's your feeling on that, Tom? Uh, to me, it's a nice touch. I mean, if they couldn't, since they can't have um, the guy who played David Banner, Bill Bixby, yeah, uh, in the, in a, make a cameo anymore because of his untimely death. Uh, it's nice to have Ferrigno in there for something. I mean, I thought the cameo that he had as the security guard with Stan Lee, classic, classic. I loved it. Uh, but And having him as the voice of 
the Hulk for the anime for the cartoon in the nineties. Cute touch. I like that. And he, they probably got him cheap. <laughs> but I mean, it's on a case by case basis, does it add anything? Does it not add anything? Oh, and uh, Miss Lion. Any guesses on the voice actor for Miss Lion? This oh. is an easy one. Yeah. Well, annoying animal. Uh, Frank Walker. <laughs> Who else? Well, there was one other guy. One other guy. The guy who did the cringer. Oh, my God. Not, uh, David, uh, or not, no, uh, Alan Oppheimer. Yeah, he's the other yeah. annoying animal guy. Yeah, Ooh, well, 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 well. Like I said, that panel that I went to, they said there are three animal voice people, uh, and D. Bradley Baker is one of them. And, I, of course, Frank Welker immediately came to mind for the other one. Yeah. So, yeah, Alan Oppenheimer's the third. There we go. What Adam? <laughs> the best thing that the updated He-Man series was did was not was make Cringer not talk. Uh, that's <laughs> probably one of the things the things that I love about um, the new Thundercats cartoon too. Snarf, snarf. Yeah, he he makes some animal sounds, but he doesn't talk. Snarf, snarf. The big comment during the uh, Comic Con panel release for that was they made him cute. And we like it. <laughs> but, uh, like, you know, this was one of the first times that you really have an animated cartoon, uh, Spider-Man's Amazing Friends, lead the comic for once by creating the character Firestar and the Firestar character, you know, you know, you know, really coming in, you know, coming into the comics and becoming her own character. You know, this never happened before with cartoon leading in. Well, remember, through, let's, let's give the full truth on that. There was one Spider-Man His Amazing Friends comic that came out during the time of the cartoon. That's and then Firestar sat on the back burner for about eight to ten years and then was introduced with a miniseries hoping to roll her in, and it just kind of sails on that went flat. And then she was brought back for New Warriors and then rolled into Justice, uh, Justice League, uh, into the Avengers, and then just kind of disappeared again. Hmm. Okay. Well, like I said, but any 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 sort of connotation, any sort of uh, incarnation, just the fact that she appeared in the comics afterwards is, you know, yeah, it's a, Marvel it's never really, did that before. No, I mean, there was nothing from the 67 Spider-Man that was rolled in. Everything else took their cues from the comic books. But the creation of Firestar, Firestar was such a fan favorite that it really was the only thing that came over from um, the series. Yeah. Mm. And besides, she was a hot redhead, no pun intended. <laughs> of course well, she's a hot redhead. She's based off of Mary Jane's design. And yeah, she really was. It's it's without question. It's and you know you start seeing a little bit of you know th this design really was based off the comic, but it was really it wasn't a specific specific artist work. It was you, you could tell it was you could tell Peter Parker's Peter Parker and all that, but this really was a design that was more meant for animation. It, it wasn't quite at the point of Bruce Tim really playing to the animator's strength, but mm -hmm. but no, they they weren't they weren't like drawing. Jim Lee shouldn't asking an animator to work on that like the 90s X-Men cartoon did. Yeah. Or Wildcats. Well, no, I mean, it really was. It was John Romita Sr.'s uh, style, but that Simplified, was such a very yeah. clean style already. Yeah, and they didn't have any of the any of the hashing lines in it at all, so that really cleaned it up. But like I said, it's not like with, with 90s X-Men where they, they – Asked someone to draw like Jim Lee and said to the animators, "Okay, do this now." And the animator looks at him like with a like shrugs his shoulders, like, "What?" <laughs> I mean, if you take a look at the earlier, the best generation of artists, in my opinion, 
I mean, whether it be John Romita Sr., or whether it be the King himself, or whether it be someone like Alex Toth, such a simple, clean, and yet powerful style that it easily made the transition over to animation. That's true. That's now true. you've got animators who want to... Um, there are a lot of tools that are out there now that weren't available to the people in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And they're using all of them in excess. So rather than making a clean style, they're they really muddying the waters. Now this is a writer saying this, folks. <laughs> But uh, like I said, uh, anyone who wants to check it out, it's on Netflix now. The whole run of Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends and the earlier Spider-Man series with a similar theme song, similar opening credits, a little bit more, a little bit more, a uh, little bit more uh, serial than episodic. It's worth checking out. And uh, but Spider-Man and his Amazing Friends is also worth checking out if just for season two for the early Toei animation for a chance to see the beginnings of the, Mar- the Marvel production era. And we're all waiting with bated breath for the original Marvel animation. And, uh, you know, I am your host, Ben. And TV's Mr. Neal. And from 910comics910cmx.com, I'm Thomas Rabor. All right, and we're saying goodnight. Goodbye. Do you like retro shows? Did you grow up in either the 80s or the 90s? Then tune into Telecast, geekcastradio.com's newest podcast. Join us here on the Telecast as we revisit some of your favorite shows, such as Clarissa Explains It All, Salute Your Shorts, Saved by the Bell, and much, much more, only on GeekCastRadio.com. So we're doing a commentary of Along Came a Spider from Season 2. You know, I, I remember watching reruns of the show on UPN, which meant it was syndicated by the time I got, I got around to it, because UPN was where shows went to die. Or where they made stuff like Cobra Boys in Outer Space. One of these days I'm going to get a reaction from Neil where, oh my god, that show was terrible again. <laughs> the only other show I was able to get that initial, immediate knee-jerk reaction from Neil was the live-action Honey, I Turned the Kid. Oh, okay. well that was just, <laughs> see with me, I'm not, I'm not offended by shows until they're just really, really bad. So, <laughs> that, that show was awful. And that's where the other half of Bosom Buddies went. Another thing that's, that's uh, interesting about this show is that we're doing the, uh, or during the early days of Marvel animation, and I, I think season two of Spider-Man and His Amazing Friends was kind of like a demo for what they wanted to do with the other with their other shows, where they were outsourcing it to Japan. Japan. I don't know why they went back. I don't know why they went back to the original uh, to the original formula for season three, but uh, or I think they were doing all the animation in America. Well, the thing is, the Firestar origin episode was actually like a backdoor. Uh, pilot to the pilot of Pride of the X-Men because a lot of the designs and ideas from that sort of moved over like a an Australian Wolverine and the designs were about the same too. And Oh yeah, that's right. I think all three episodes from season two were origin stories. Yes. All three of them were. And uh we this cartoon of course is famous with uh Frank Welker doing uh Bobby Drake, the uh Iceman. Really doing his Fred Jones voice, but but you'll you'll you, never you hear you'll never hear Blanchard that. bitching about that. You, you almost expect him to say, "Okay, gang, let's solve another mystery." All right, okay, gang, let's split up. Firestar and I will Sam in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, well. Firestar's design is based off of Mary Jane's design. Search your feelings, you know it to be true. And of course, it was originally going to be Iceman, Human Torch, and Spider Man as buddies in a apartment, but. Somebody up ahead, up above, said, that makes us a sausage fest. Let's get this show rolling. We ready, Neil?
We are ready. All right. Five, four, three, two, one, go. Marvel Comics Animation. Presentation. This is before they were just called Marvel Animation. Funny thing is, this intro is very close to what the regular, just Spider-Man was. You can hear the disco. Good psychedelic background. <laughs> <laughs> just sitting around the apartment. <coughs> yeah, that's why they don't do animation in America anymore. Cooking your own yeah, face for ten of, years. Yeah. I see a lot of people like not moving in this. Area. Yeah, which is oh. another reason why we for an eight. This for, is the part uh, for a toy episode. Do the disco They'll dance. They'll actually be moving in this episode. <laughs> I love how the run animation in that opening is so herky jerky. <laughs> Donald F. Glunt. Oh, you know who he is? He he wrote uh, SOS Dinobots. Really? Yeah. Cool. I think he did a few season one episodes of uh, Transformers. Cool. Neil, get him on the show. <laughs> That's the shocker. How he was able to get, like, his shock things, I don't know how they explain that. Or how much money he spent on engineering that. Yeah. It's a shocker! He's making a break! I love that canned animation cart music. You know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I heard they had like six different cartoons when I was growing up. And that is the same voice as Bumblebee. Oh, Wow, that's really bad code talk. And they just left the uh, Aunt May. Yeah. <laughs> How are they not dead? Let's go for it! God damn it. How do I remember that? Firestar's looking all right. (laughs) 
Miss Lion. Oh God. That's some more canned 80s animation music. Spider-Man actually jumped that high. What? Did Spider-Man actually jumped that high. Kenny? Yeah, he's doing some rather, uh, rather giant things um, in the show. Technically, he could. Ow, that would have killed her. You see the size yeah, of would have. That would have <laughs> just her dirty ivory bones. Yeah. He'd be like, ow, my osteoporosis. <laughs> yeah. yeah. She's falling and she can't get up. <laughs> That's a good animation with that melting. Yeah, it is. I like they got the uh they got the street knife to school. Yeah. Goddamn Miss Lion. She's not your aunt. Yeah, I like how all the characters call her anime. To me, though, the idea is... The one thing I liked about the whole Spider-Man being married thing was... Aunt May knows. You know what I mean? Because it was like, okay. And then after one more day, it's like... Oh, now she doesn't know anymore. They, they brought him back to this point in the 70s, early 80s. Why do they keep on bringing Spider-Man back to this point? I don't know. Because they're afraid to progress the storyline. Yeah. So, Peter Parker was never coordinated. Yeah. Was that, was that the same voice I was trying to sound young? Lemonade! That's some pretty good animation. Yeah. Yippee. Writing needs some help, but... Ouch. Wow. You know, it, it probably took a lot of self-control, so when Parker finally got super strength, he didn't like, you know. You know, right? Annihilate this guy. That's the one thing I liked about the Sam Raimi movie. He did it with one punch. See, it sounds like the, the graduation song, and it turns sinister at the end. 
Am I wrong? No. You know how they changed that in the in the comics? Uh, there was a character named Ezekiel that showed up who had spider powers as well. And he told Spider-Man that it, he, Spider-Man got his powers from a spider totem versus through radiation. And the spider passed the, the powers of the spider totem to Parker because it was going to die because of radiation. Not because of the radiation. I'm waiting for the bullshits. Am I wrong? And see, people make fun of the Raimi movies about Parker being unmasked. When How many people saw him unmasked here? Or is that like three people? Now? Yeah. That's some pretty good animation. Why they farm this out? You know, it only takes five guys to lift one of those up. A Volkswagen Beetle, how ironic. No, it really only takes five people to lift one up. I know, but I was was referring to the fact that he... uh, So he literally has... Crusher Hogan! Was Hulk Hogan big around then? Um, Actually, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> God. What? The uh, way he was just racing around the ring on the rope like that. I've never seen a wrestling ring with the poles that high. Why is that like that? You know, if he's holding him by the shoulder with one hand like that, he must be crushing the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> he made a chemical substance that not even 3M could make. Yeah. That's the one thing I agreed with Ramey about, that the idea that someone could come up with something that 3M couldn't come up with. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm a firm supporter of the uh, 
the natural spider shooter. Amazing power, gadgets, and my new red and blue long john. <laughs> Not bad for somebody who never took a sewing class. So, they laugh. Peter, what's going on in there? What's all this white stuff hanging from the... They actually did that joke in the 70s. Oh, God. N -n nothing, Aunt May. Not what you think. Good thing nobody walks by that door. Yeah. See, I like the way he got his name in the Raimi movie better. That name sucks! Oh my god. That seems a lot more apathetic than what happened in the movie to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the movie, he was kind of... Uh, he was getting screwed, so he was like... Yeah, so he screwed the most. Yeah. The big thing to remember is uh, Steve Ditko, one of the creators of Spider-Man, was an objectivist. And you know what an objective is, right, Neil? Yeah. Well, basically the idea was uh, was Ditko wanted to show because of Parker's apathy that that's as that's as evil as as doing a bad action, and there was a consequence to that. Damn. You're gonna pay for that. That actually looks really cool with him in the dark. Yeah. Was I yeah. That they they have to show the spider sense and I actually prefer that over uh you know.
Yeah, I didn't catch it. Did they? Did they explicitly say that he killed Uncle Bowser? Yes. Okay. So it's not like the later cartoons where they kind of had the edge around. Them. Yeah. Toei was really good with these shot, sorts of shots, but they show, like, this really good shadowing. Any way you want it? Oh my god! That's the thing I hate. Was well, just the whole thing where she is just so anti Spider-Man that the evidence is there in the face of Spider-Man is doing good, and she's just like, "No, he's not." <laughs> Again, this is something else I think Raimi got right was when he had Aunt May realize that Spider-Man is actually a force of good. Uh, is he just like destroying things for the sake of destroying? Yes. Did the dead glass just shatter and and come out like a brick? Yeah. Yeah, see? Gonna rub you out, see? Hey, that was pretty cool. I like how they don't use recycled animation for this. <laughs> You'll do! But if you have a launchable, yeah. yeah. You know, I would love to have like a soundtrack CD of like of the old Marvel stuff. Of the, I like the sound effects are just so Atari bad. Yeah. And I'm sure there's like ten different versions of the Megatron fusion cannon. <laughs> like a fly on the windshield. He's going to attack the, the control on his belt, isn't he?
You know, he fought him before. In the continuity that they established in this cartoon, because the Shocker escaped from jail in, in Tangled Spider-Man before. Right? Yeah. Well, what happened to that force field he can create? You know what? Didn't he like... Uh, You know, having melted metal on his hand probably should have destroyed his, uh... Yeah, I was going to say. That wouldn't have felt very good. <laughs> should have been like, ah! Burning! Scolding! Did they just say wrong? God. Aha! Attempted murder. Boink. Yeah, aren't they going to have to... Oh, yeah, they are. Um, That's going to be harder to stop. Yeah. Is he, like, making snow? That shouldn't have worked. No. <laughs> he would have been, like, 20 feet of snow. Yeah, because snow is not that fun. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to last. You stop being a bitch! That's what brought that on. Yeah. I can't believe they brought Miss Lion back. Why are they doing like the sister music closing in on Aunt May's face? I don't know. <laughs> did, did, is that what they did? Yeah. That's like that's like how they would close a Transformers episode with Megatron saying something sinister and laughing. Here's the disco part. <laughs> that was a terrible shot. What? The 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 shot of them standing around with their mouths open. Yeah. There's some terrible drawings there. Oh, there was Marvel production back then. Wow. How was that? Uh, in association with Jetix. Fuck you. <laughs> That's to re-air it. Jetix didn't exist yet. I know, but still. It's like Saban putting their name on everything. How was that for you? That was Well, it was probably better than a regular episode. Because they had Toei animation? Yeah. That was still really stilted and weird. <laughs> what? <laughs> the sinister music playing out the episode. It's, it's closing in on Aunt May's face. 